I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Taisei Fu. And I am the champion of modes of transport votes with a whopping 64% in my favor of the likes of submarine and helicopter and therefore a mere feeble 36% in favor of the likes of trains and planes and tanks and bobsleds. What do you have to say for your miserable, embarrassing performance? Yeah, as, we, as, we, as I said before we started recording, um, it's, uh, I completely blew it on the strategy side of things. And, you know, you do the postmortem afterwards and it's clear that you just blew me out of the water. You took more exciting modes of transport and by playing it safe, we both agree, was not the way to go here. The people don't like the boring, you know, the plane, the train. Should have gone with a spicy rocket ship. Who doesn't love a good rocket ship? Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you, you, you really rubbed it in that I, I blew it on the last rounds. And I, at this point, I have to agree. Uh, the public agrees. And uh, I hang my head in shame because uh, that was a rough one. I think that might be my weakest one. I completely misjudged everything. Nobody wants to ride in the tank is what we learned this week. <laughs> Nobody wants to ride. Wow. I got... I was not expecting you to so, so adamantly praise me and put yourself down. I don't know if you've ever complimented my draft performance to such a degree. Yeah, well, you know, there's a first for everything, as they say. Uh, and uh, I would I would have to say this one was just, it was just jarringly rough. And, uh, you know, the, the it, it was apparent in the score. It almost doubled me up. It's ter- terribly embarrassing. I sure nearly did. Well, I gotta say, I'm glad the public chose right. Uh, and let us now move on to someone else who is experiencing success this week alongside me the boston bruins um we said we would talk about them this week and we are uh two and one this week not bad at all uh but perhaps more notable is the fact that their goal differential was plus eight in the three games i think that was it mostly due to the the eight one win over new jersey that they had there in the middle heading into this week uh they had four wins in a row um but more remarkably, they had won 14 of their last 17. And because of that, they're now much more in the thick of it for a divisional playoff spot in the Atlantic rather than before it was looking like they were pretty much penciled into the top wild card. But now they've basically caught up to the likes of Toronto and Tampa. Uh, whether they should want to finish in the divisional spot is up for debate. Uh, it is most likely that whoever gets in that top wild card will end up with a with an easier route to uh throughout the playoffs yeah avoiding the atlantic uh which at this point is you know those three atlantic spots will be filled with three juggernauts uh and you know if you could take the metro route that might be a bit easier uh so uh but yeah no it's crazy how uh, we really wrote the bruins off in terms of earlier in the season uh with these atlantic positions you know it's like the the panthers the leafs the lightning make up the atlantic and then the bruins are the wild card uh, but no they, they they've completely caught up and yeah, it's just, it's a dog fight. It's a three-way dog fight now for, for seeding two, three, four in the Atlantic. Uh, really any of them could take it. They're all within two points of each other. They've played the same number of games and there's still like what, 14 games left in the schedule for everybody. So, you know, it's, it's up to anyone's guess as to uh, the, the exact seeding. Um, but yeah, no, you make a good point. Um, you know, probably drawing Carolina might be favorable because once you get past Carolina, you're definitely seeing an easier matchup, especially in the second round, uh, whoever comes out on the other end for the Metro. Um, if you do make it there. So, uh, yeah, let's get into uh, the three games. You start off with uh, their, their first loss in five games uh, against the Leafs. Um, you know, certainly the, the hardest <laughs> opposition that they saw this week. And, uh, yeah, they didn't look great. They didn't look great. Uh, they, you know, they lost 6-4, uh, and they were down 6-1 at some point. And, they, you know, they made a little run at the end, uh, but it wasn't to be. It was just too late, too, too little too late. Um, so, yeah, the game started off. Uh, with a, with a Leafs goal, Colin Blackwell, noted deadline acquisition from Seattle. Uh, and yeah, you had Connor Clifton and, you know, Matt Greslick having a, a little doozy of miscommunication uh, and uh, in, in the defensive zone leads to a, a Leafs goal. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Pasternak tied it out 1-1 with a, a nice power play goal. I think it went off someone in fr- uh, out in front. I think it was Brody um, to make it 1-1. And then, uh, you know, Peter Mrazek, uh, who had come back and was looking all right recently, uh, he gets injured. I think it was, uh, was it a groin injury? Uh, and so it looks like he's out for six weeks. And so the goaltending problems continue. Eric Schalgren played the rest of the game for the Leafs. Yeah. Um, on that Connor Clifton giveaway, uh, that first goal for the Maple Leafs, uh, I noticed something strange, which is that Connor Clifton was playing. Um, and I was under the impression after they acquired Hampus Lindholm that, oh, Connor Clifton's going to be the one who gets bumped out of the lineup. Um, even though that would result in either Derek Forbert or Mike Riley, probably 
uh, getting moved over to the right side. Instead, what they seem to be doing is kind of they so they have their top four: McAvoy, Lindholm on the top pair together, and then Grizzlick and Carlo. Very good top four. And the bottom pair, I think this week what they were doing is Derek Forbert with Connor Clifton, and then swapping out game to game with Mike Riley and other deadline acquisition from Ottawa, Josh Brown. Um, and that could potentially, you know, be a reasonable thing to do for the rest of the regular season, you know, try out different combinations, maybe different pairings, perhaps, you know, you mix and match them. Um, but if Mike Riley is ever healthy scratched in the, in the playoffs for this team in favor of like really any of those defensemen, Forbert, Clifton, or, or Brown, uh, I've, I've a really hard time getting on board with that philosophy. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, <laughs> Mike Riley is decidedly the better defenseman out of that, you know, trio that's cycling in and out for the third pair. Um, but, you know, it could just be that, you know, they're giving the guy a rest. Uh, they're just seeing, you know, maybe something really clicks uh, for that bottom pair heading into the playoffs. And I don't blame them. They're they're firmly in a playoff spot at this point. And so, you know, tinkering with the bottom pairing is fine. Uh, but, yeah, no, Colin, you know, Clifton did not have a good game today. Uh, or not today, but, you know, against the Leafs. Um, it was also his shot that got blocked on the 3-1 goal that went the other way for Kerfoot. Uh, so uh, not not looking great. And, uh, you know, just a terrible miscommunication with Grizzly on that first goal. Mm-hmm. I think, well, it seems like with those bearings, they're really intent on keeping the left-right balance. Um, but what that they're, those two right defensemen, Clifton and Josh Brown, are so much like worse than Riley and Forbert uh, that it's, it's worth sacrificing. And it's, it was kind of one of my criticisms of the Lindholm trade to begin with is that um you know it's obviously you know he's your new best left shot defenseman um but you end up you know if you want to keep the balance left right balance on every pairing then you're knocking one of your better defensemen out of the lineup in favor of someone who isn't as good right yeah so lineup wise I mean the defense now now with the Lindholm it, it is it is better um, but it, it does leave a logjam at the at the bottom of the lineup for sure. Um, so yeah, getting back to the game, uh, you had uh, what was it Morgan Riley scoring off a rebound uh, where Nylander just kind of turnstiled uh, was Brendan Carlo off the rush, and then uh, you know basically Morgan and you know Riley buried the rebound, so everyone was kind of lost there. Uh, makes a two one, and then the Leafs just you know kept scoring as I mentioned earlier. Kerfoot scored off of a, a Clifton block shot goes. Deeks out, Swayman makes a three-one, uh, and then uh, what was it? There was a neutral zone turnover, leads to a uh, a pass from you know Austin Matthews over to Mitch Marner, scores to make a four-one. At that point, you know the game's out of four reach, uh, and then uh, and then we see uh, a little scrum. Uh, Taylor Hall takes a, a hard hit on the boards from Ilya Lubushkin, uh, and uh, he's not happy. Uh, he gets uh, some red mist vision going, and uh, he fucking soccer- Taylor Hall soccer punches Ilya Lubushkin uh, in the back of the head as he skates away. Uh, and uh, we saw Lubushkin was uh, he got him flush in the jaw, and looks like Lubushkin's uh, concussed now. And it looks like Taylor Hall did not receive any supplemental discipline. Got uh, five thousand, you know, the famous five thousand dollar fine uh, for a uh, what was just a sucker punch, a cheap shot to concuss a guy. And uh, so you, we we see the NHLPA, uh, no, the NHL player safety uh, doing its fine work here yet again. Was it on purpose that you said the game was out of reach when it became four one? For the Leafs? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It hadn't occurred I to thought me. it was. I thought it was a joke. <laughs> like, oh, they made it 4-1. Game is out of reach. <laughs> the second period. Uh, anyway, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised to hear our opinions on the Hall-Lubushkin situation. Uh, total embarrassing, embarrassment, uh, total clownery on part of the Department of Player Safety. Uh, it's pretty much exactly what we've come to, to expect. Um, they are... It is. People were kind of comparing it to uh, Austin Matthews' suspension that he had no longer. I don't remember the, the details of it, except that he got two games, um, and the kind of two sides of the coin were good. He deserves two games. That's the right precedent to set. And the other side was, well, this is totally inconsistent with everything else that they they've done. Um, most of the time, this type of thing, whatever it was, we get a five thousand dollar fine. And yes, that's not good enough either. So I hope you're right that it does set a precedent. As it turns out, no precedent set at all. They're kind of just guessing, you know, rolling the dice, spinning the wheel uh, every time there's a, a new incident. And this time it landed on basically no punishment at all to Taylor Hall for this incredibly dangerous play. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It really does feel like you're spinning the wheel of fortune because you put two incidents together, you compare them. You know, like you're like, why is this one worse than the other? Why does one merit a suspension, like uh, like a cross check to the head uh, for Matthews, or you know, uh, a straight up sucker punch as the guy skates away uh, for Taylor Hall? Uh, <laughs> you can't, you know, like you you can say that you know we're gonna we're gonna be complete bozos about it and gonna say you know nobody deserves a suspension. It's the wild west out here. Or you're gonna say you know. <laughs> we don't want that stuff in the game, um, and we're gonna spend both of them. But to 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 do this, uh, you know, you know, incident to incident inconsistency, it just you know it removes all the integrity uh, and the consistency, and it just you, you you lose the fans when you do that stuff because you know whenever we see an incident, the joke is like, okay, well, well let's spin the wheel of punishment right now, and it's true because that's exactly what the results are is what we get you know uh, on a daily basis. Just these random fucking punishments, completely random. And so when we do see a good punishment, you know, one that's deserved, uh, a worthy suspension, uh, <laughs> we have to object to it because we're like, it doesn't follow any sort of precedent with other incidents that we've seen this year. Yeah, um, I feel like once every year at least, and maybe it's getting even more frequent now. There seems to be, you know, some like a massive. Uh, rise in anti DOPS, anti George Peros sentiment, fire Peros. Uh, you know, the like the constant bad decisions eventually erupt into kind of this, this bigger, like, no one can stop talking about it, and then nothing happens. And the NHL just kind of ignores it, and then people move back on until the next time that they get, you know, overly, uh, overly passionate about the issue. Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah, diminishing returns almost with uh, the people's, you know, disapproval for this kind of thing. Um, because, yeah, <laughs> the NHL is going to do what it's going to do. Uh, and it's apparent that, you know, they don't really want to listen to the input of fans. They're not really interested in any of this. It's just more like, you know, image protection, damage control, and then move on as if nothing happened. There's no accountability whatsoever for George Perros and his band of merry men. Um, so, yeah, that's that. It was 4-1 at that point. Uh, you know, Leafs score off a power play. It was Austin Matthews. Scored, I think it was his 49th or something. Uh, he later scored 50 and 51 later this week. Um, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was off a little nice little cycle. Scored off a rebound. Uh, and then David Camp scored uh, on a little tip in front of the net. Make it 6-1. Uh, and then, uh, so yeah, it was 6-1 at that point. Then Now the Bruin- this game's out of reach, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, I know the Bruins come back with uh, three straight goals. Jake DeBrusque had himself a great week. Uh, he, you know, w- the puck went off the skate, went into the net, make a 6-2. Uh, the puck took a, took a weird bounce, and uh, Curtis Lazar, on, a, on, the, on the ensuing play, Curtis Lazar scored uh, off a tricky little bounce, make a 6-3. Uh, Taylor Hall scored a nice goal to make it 6-4. Uh, that was initially disallowed, but then, you know, they went to see it. That was, that was a weird goaltender interference, right? Because it was like, uh, was it Shogun had the puck? Well, he didn't have the puck. Hall shot it. It was sneaking through his legs, but then Hall like bumped into Shogun's pads and was initially waved off. It was a whole thing. Nobody knows what's really going on. Is it going to be allowed? Is it going to be disallowed? <laughs> Who knows? Um, but in the end, it didn't matter because there was two minutes left and it was 6-4. Uh, and that was the uh, the final score uh, of a game where it, the Bruins were pretty outplayed. That was a really weird play because particularly I find, you know, usually it's someone scores and then there might be a coach's challenge to wave off the goal when this was the reverse of that the goal was initially waved off uh, for goalie interference and it was Boston who, who coached the challenge said no there was no goalie interference and I, I can't remember ever seeing that in the NHL that like the initial calls goalie interference and then the challenge is no there wasn't what are you talking about and then to top it all off the challenge actually worked they're like oh yeah you're right there was no goalie interference yeah, honestly, I'm so confused with these rules. I wasn't even aware that that was possible. I didn't even think you were allowed to, like, <laughs> you know, challenge a no goal. Like, is that even possible out here? Um, but I apparently guess. it was. I guess so. <laughs> you learn something every day, uh, especially with these messy goaltender <laughs> interference rules. Um, but, yeah, it, it probably should have been a goal. I mean, he never had control. Didn't look good. It was going to go in either way. Um, but the call could have gone either way, you know? So... Yeah, you flipped the coin. This time it landed on the head, so the Bruins got a, a consolation goal. Nice. Um, one thing I noticed with the Bruins lineup, we were talking leading up to the deadline about how since you know David Craigie left last offseason, they kind of have a big hole second line center. That is kind of, you know, sometimes Charlie Coyle, sometimes Eric Howla, that type of thing. Um, so what they've done 
I don't know how long into the season it took them to do this, or maybe even all year. Uh, they split up the Marshan Bergeron Pasternak line, the 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 Ratatouille line. Um, they have Marshan and Bergeron playing with Jake DeBrusque and David Pasternak on that second line. Uh, right now, I think with Taylor Hall and Eric Howla. Uh, and I've always kind of you know I feel like it's very um case by case, team by team thing whether it's a good idea to stack all your best forwards on one line together or to kind of split them up. I feel like in the past, perhaps with how strong that second line was centered by Craigie, it didn't make more sense to have Marshan Bergeron and Pasternak together. Now with Coyle or Halla as your second line center, um, when you put a, a star winger like Pasternak on that line, it definitely uh, lessens the blow of not having a, a great second line center option. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I, I think I looked at the lineup configuration for this week, or, or how the Bruins were running, and I feel much more comfortable with how the top six is built. Um, because you know you have Marshan and Bergeron still together, uh, so you know they still form a formidable duo. They have the great chemistry that comes from you know being superstars that played along with each other for a while. Um, but it seems like Jake DeBrusque has really kind of you know taking that role in stride, uh, you know, especially since the deadline, uh, where he gets to play kind of that third wheel. Um, and he's been able to produce. He was able to produce this week. I don't know how many points he scored, um, but I know he scored, uh, I think was like, uh, you know, he scored a goal in this game. I scored against against the Devils, uh, among other things. And, uh, you know, he's, he's creating chances. I mean, he had a breakaway in the, in the Blue Jackets game too. Uh, so, yeah, that, that first line, it absolutely works. It's still producing. Uh, maybe not as much as you would have with, uh, with Pasenuk up there, but it's certainly, you know, a fitting, repl- like, you know, it's not too much of a dip. And it's really that second line where it looks like Eric Hala has really kind of taken on that second line role. Uh, and he's been fine. And you have two great wingers that can really kind of play off each other in Hall and Pasternak. And yeah, I got to say, I like, I like this, I like this uh, configuration. It works much better. I got to say now for the rest of the lineup, it still feels kind of like fragile. And if it's really the one part of the lineup where I'm, I'm concerned because it does feel like, you know, you lose one piece to an injury or whatnot. And the forward quarter looks really kind of thin. Uh, but with these pieces that they have right now, the top six right now looks, I got to say, it looks great. It looked great this week. Yeah, I also feel like Charlie Coyle is decidedly better than Eric Howla. Um, and Craig Smith is quite good, too. I think he played on the second line for most of, or if not all of last season. And that it was like Hall, Craigie, Craig Smith was that second line. So now, you know, I feel like Charlie Coyle and Craig Smith plus, uh, who was it, it's Trent Frederick, on that third line, that's a pretty reasonable uh, third line too. And fourth line is Nick Foligno, Thomas Nozick, Curtis Lazar, uh, with with Jack Studnika and Anton Bleed and Mark McLaughlin actually as the the healthy scratches all right now on forward. So I do see what you're saying. Like it is kind of um, like if you know one or two of their uh, you know top guns goes down, then things could potentially fall apart quickly. But as it stands right now. Uh, it's uh, it looks like these lines are pretty well figured out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it looks like you know, <laughs> Bruce Cassidy is a hell of a coach. I don't know if you saw that there was like a press conference this week where he gave like a pretty thought out answer about his role and using like analytics. Um, but uh, basically it was the, it was to the a well thought out answer from an NHL coach. <laughs> It was crazy. I was surprised. Uh, it wasn't anything too fancy, but it was like, you know, he, he dived into how he gets these, you know, these packages from the analytics department that are like, you know, he's got graphs. He described the graphs. It was like those those graphs you see on Twitter, honestly, where you have like those four quadrants. Uh, and then, but he like, he explicitly described those four quadrants um, where it was like, you know, exciting, <laughs> good, bad, boring, and whatever it is. Um, oh, so, I've seen those. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And he like, he was like, you know, we see those, we use those to, uh, you know, they, he talks about how he doesn't give those to the players. You don't, they don't give the raw data to the players, um, but they use it to mm-hmm. formulate strategy among the coaches. And that's cool. That's cool. Good for him. So he seems to have figured it out and he seems to have figured out this lineup configuration. Uh, Cause uh, yeah, no, no, no shit. They're fucking rolling. So that's where we're at. Um, so yeah. I wonder the, if, yep. I, sorry. I wonder if actually giving that raw data to the players, but specifically the bad ones would actually help. It was like, Hey, you are into the bad quadrant. <laughs> what are you doing wrong? Let's try to figure it out so we can move you closer to the good quadrant. <laughs> I don't know if they would understand those uh, those graphs. Not to belittle their intelligence too much. I don't know if they know um, the word but... quadrant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. Know, I don't know if they understand squares. To be totally frank, um, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you know, a little, little motivation. But 
I think the problem is if they don't if they don't understand you know concepts like expected goals or whatnot. Um, they're like we all we all want real goals. That's all. Um, then uh, you expected know expected by whom <laughs> exactly. Um, it it kind of loses the meaning, and I and I get that. You know th- those players are wired different, and yeah, yeah. So, so so good good for the coach for you know figuring out what works for the players and then giving them that process information. And I think that's uh, yep. yeah that's how he does for the opponent scouting is what was what he was mentioning in particular. Yeah. All right. Uh, so next up was Boston eight, New Jersey one, also <laughs> known as Bruins eat Nico Dawes alive. That was basically it. Um, I I do feel like New Jersey would be significantly higher in the standings this year if both their first two goalies weren't unavailable for most of the year. Um, because man, Nico Dawes is not an NHL goalie at all. First goal he gave up uh, was Matt Grizzlick. Um, a week one from the left point, 57 seconds in, and that set the tone for for the rest of the game. Um, New Jersey did get the next goal. Jack Hughes beat Allmark from from some crazy angle. He's been insane. He's like significantly over a point a game, I think. This is breakout year. Uh, but that was the last goal the Devils would score that day. Um, though there was one. Here was the big one. That was Nico, I was like, Nico Dawes, what are you doing? I think I'm in the Bruins' second goal, maybe third. It was the second but one. But Bergeron yeah. basically... Like with like the soft ass shot, mm-hmm. like a nothing shot, and Nico Dawes basically, uh, you know, uses blocker to stop it, but sends the puck directly into the slot, where Jake DeBrusque is the only person there. He basically he just basically he could have caught the puck. He could have he had so much time to send the rebound off into either corner. He could have done anything except make a perfect tape-to-tape pass, or not tape-to-tape, I guess, blocker-to-tape pass in the slot to opponent Jake DeBrusque, uh, and uh, he gave up a goal there. I was like, it was Nico does. What are you doing? What? That's some really F-level rebound control. Yeah, no no, no kidding. Um, yeah, even, even the even the, the goal from Grizzly, you know, he should have had that. I was like, <laughs> that was that was just an untipped goal from the point. He's just a complete sieve uh, and, and let that one in. No, it's, uh, you know, with NHL-level goaltending, maybe the Devils, wouldn't be uh, completely ass. But then again, you know what? Their players weren't very good either. Uh, they were like, <laughs> the Bruins were skating circles around them uh, in their own zone. And uh, so, you know, the, 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 this Devils team is nowhere near good. Uh, you can win the offseason as many times as you want, uh, but it's just not working. You know, you can you can sign your Dougie Hamiltons, but apparently he's not enough. He's not enough. Dougie Hamilton's great, but he can't live this uh, dumpster fire out from, uh, out from the basement. And so, yeah, Nico Dawes, terrible, terrible. So uh, to make it 3-1, you know, Eric Halla, the aforementioned Eric Hollis scored uh, off a rebound. Uh, you know, it was, uh, I think it was Pasternak uh, who shot it. Uh, so, you know, that line's working clearly. Uh, and yeah, it's just, you know, the, the Devils were completely five footed uh, in, in that goal. The next goal, the, the Marshan one timer, uh, they're just, they're just, they're, 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 they're going nowhere. Uh, and so, you know, that, that makes a four, one, five, one goal by Bergeron on the power play. Uh, then they switch out, you know, Nico Dawes for John Gillies. Big, big That'll upgrade. save the day. Big upgrade. Uh, and so, you know, Marshan scores another goal to make it 6 1 uh, after, you know, DeBrusque made a nice hit. So that was that was a play. And then uh, the 7 1 goal was at least somewhat notable. Uh, Mark McLaughlin in his NHL debut on a little two on one after he signed, I think, straight from college, right? From, from Boston College. Uh, yeah, pretty yeah. sure. And uh, yeah, on a two on one with Trent Frederick. Scores his first goal in his first game. You'll have to see it. Uh, and then uh, Taylor Hall. Scores the eight-one goal, and uh, yeah, the the caliber of play from the Devils pretty much explains the score uh, all throughout. Whether it's the goaltending, whether it's the skating, it's uh, the Devils are terrible, and the Bruins are rolling. All those all those goals, by the way, were before the end of the second period. Right, it yeah. was eight-one. <laughs> it's a six-goal second. <laughs> and then crazy foot off foot off the gas in the third period and ended eight-one. Do you know how many of the Bruins skaters had at least a point in this game? Ooh. I don't, I don't. I don't know. Let's 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 guess. Twelve. The answer is twelve. Congratulations. Right. Nice. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> well, I thought you'd celebrate more than that. You nailed it. <laughs> let's go. Big dubs. Spontaneous yeah. trivia. You love to see it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. All right. And finally, last night, uh, Boston beat the Blue Jackets, uh, who lost for the sixth the sixth time in a row. Uh, they were on a six game losing streak. Columbus is to probably no one's great surprise. Um, it was a pretty close game for most of it. Uh, Boston scored first. Hampus Lindholm, new guy, wrapped the puck around behind the net and led to a scramble where Eric Hallis scored again. 
Uh, the Bruins were totally smothering Columbus throughout that entire first period, but uh, Nyquist still managed to get one near the end of the period for Columbus. Then within the first minute of the next period, Justin Danforth made it 2-1 Columbus, uh, but the Bruins kept uh, pressing, dominating. All the best chances were were theirs. Marchand got one near the end of the second period when um, Merzlikens bit, thinking that Bergeron was, was going to shoot, and it remained tied till there were under four minutes left in the game. Eric Halla again deflects a Brandon Carlos shot, and then DeBrus gets an empty net goal, and Charlie Coyle gets an empty net goal. 5-2 final. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the Bruins were clearly the better team here. I thought, you know, Swayman, in both games that we saw this week, kind of looked a bit shaky, uh, whether it was, you know, some of the goals against the Leafs, um, but really kind of both goals for the Blue Jackets here. Uh, he kind of mishandled the puck on the Nyquist goal, and then it was like a weird angle shot originally on the second goal that he probably should have, like, you know, had a better control of before, before you know Danforth came in and, and slammed in the rebound. So you know, it, it, I think I think he's really a young goalie, right? I think he's like twenty three, and so he's got a lot of raw talent. And you've seen that throughout the year where he's like the starter now. Uh, but I think you know his game still needs a bit of refinement, especially on on the puck handling or the or the rebound control is what I saw. Uh, where I didn't have complete confidence in Jeremy Swayman. Uh, but you know, overall he looked great. But you know, there were certain instances where I was like, ah, eh, kind of shaky kind of shaky you're right and that is why boston would be wise to hold on to lena solmark people are talking about how you know they signed him to this four-year deal five million dollars a year now that swayman is a starter it's like oh what a ridiculous contract to sign Elmark to uh no because swayman is only 23 and hasn't played a full season as a starter and probably won't till next year and in case he falters at any point you have the experienced and also very good Linus Olmark there ready to take the reins if need be. So this is a, a great tandem. And looking, you know, at all the other tandems in the Eastern Conference, I can't really think of one that I have uh, more confidence in both the number one and number two than uh, than for Boston. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we keep hammering the point that, you know, tandems uh, have really kind of, you know, co- you know, they've really kind of gained their popularity in, in terms of, their importance uh, for a lot of these playoff teams down the stretch, uh, even potentially during the playoffs. And yeah, no, the, the Bruins tandem, uh, you know, maybe maybe not, you know, Swayman's getting there in terms of being a bona fide number one goalie where you can really kind of trust him. Um, but definitely in the in the one-two punch that they have, it, it's probably unmatched in the conference where, yeah, we've, we talked about just in the past few weeks, it looks like, you know, great goaltending, elite goaltending seems to be really in short supply, especially this year for some reason. Um where, you know, you you obviously have your teams like your your Rangers and then the Lightning who have their number ones and it's really set. Uh, but the tier below that, you probably you have to put the Bruins in in terms of, you know, goaltending situations because uh, <laughs> if one falters, you could very realistically put in a bona fide, you know, starter caliber at the least goalie in if, you know, on any given night. Yeah, so uh, that's the Bruins this week. An interesting team, definitely one to watch heading into the playoffs. Uh, do you have any any final thoughts on this this year's edition of the the bees? <laughs> no, not 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 particular. Uh, also, I forgot to mention they they also have great vibes. Swayman and Olmark, you know, they have their little celebration at the end oh, of the game. Oh, the little ha- the hug, yeah, of course. Yeah. good stuff, good stuff. You love to see it. So they're looking like they get along as a tandem. That's uh, elite goaltending vibes. Probably the best tandem vibes that you see in the league in terms of post-game sellies yeah of course you're, you're not gonna trade all mark away from swaim and they're gonna make them stop hugging are you of course not it'll be a travesty of course not mm-hmm. all right uh so we are now going to briefly uh eulogize eugene melnick as you know he died a few days ago um i don't remember was it wednesday night at anyway um and what what you said to me, you were actually the first person who told me about it, and I was I was shocked, um, and I think pretty much everyone was outside of his inner circle, uh, because we didn't know that he had been battling some kind of an illness for a while, and uh, he was only sixty two, and you asked me you asked me like how are we gonna eulogize him, and um, we obviously you know can't sit here and pretend that like you know we loved the guy every time we brought him up. It was to to make fun of him and to clown on the way he ran his team and how overbearing he was with the senators. Uh, so I don't think it would be um, 
it would be too too honest of us to you know spend too much time talking about uh how how great of a man he was or whatever so i figure that our that we can mostly leave it at uh thanks for the laughs eugene and uh we are we're we're definitely going to miss uh miss hearing about you absolutely uh the the loss will be felt uh and uh you know condolences to the family but but you're right i'm not going to sing praises uh but uh you know sucks when someone dies you know as as a general statement on things all right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and apparently he kept, you know, if it wasn't for him, maybe the Ottawa Senators still aren't in Ottawa. And how do we feel about Almost that? Almost definitely not. Right. So good for him for keep, keeping the Sens in place because, um, uh, you know, it's a fun rivalry with the Habs and the Leafs. And so they've got their merits in the hockey world. So uh, that's that. I've got absolutely nothing else to add on this topic. All right. Uh, I also wanted to talk about something that we talked about not long ago when Keith Yandel broke the Ironman streak and became the sole record holder for most consecutive games played in NHL history. Uh, with He passed Doug Jarvis's 965. And then he played 24 more games and he got to 989. And then... He gets called into some kind of meeting with the Flyers front office. I don't even know to talk about how they're going to handle these last few games of the year, uh, because uh, the Flyers have, you know, some some young defensemen that they need to get into the lineup, uh, and Keith Yandel just you know it doesn't fit into the picture, and you know this all seems very very reasonable on paper. You know, uh, it's like yeah. I, I get it. You know, my time is Keith Yandel has been terrible this year. It's not like he did, you know, if he didn't have this long streak, he would have been healthy scratched ages ago. Um, and, you know, there is something to the argument that, oh, do you want to, you know, keep your streak going just as a pity party if you don't really deserve it? I understand that. However, he was 11 games away from 1,000. <laughs> and I know, I know people, you know, all milestones are not even real. They're just so arbitrary numbers. I know, but. You could have gotten him to be the first player ever to play 1,000 games in a row. And this is a player who's beloved by everyone. He's constantly, like, players one of like, funniest player or whatever. Um, so he's, by all accounts, if any NHL player deserved it, there's no reason why it wouldn't be Keith Yandel. Number two, the Flyers are so bad. You, you have nothing to cheer about, Flyers. You have nothing to play for. Your pipeline is trash. You just traded your captain for dick all. <laughs> Bring fans in to celebrate Keith Yandel getting to a thousand games on your team when you have nothing else to celebrate this year. What are you thinking? And okay, last thing: people are talking. These young defensemen have to get into the lineup. Cam York has like been in the lineup pretty regularly lately. I'm pretty sure with the Flyers, so uh, he's not the one stealing Keith Yandel's spot. Uh, they just signed Ronnie Attard out of college, and he came into the lineup right away. Uh, and so at first glance, I'm like, oh, he's the one that they are, you know they're giving Yandel spot to um last night when Yandel did not play against the Leafs do you know who was left shot on the bottom pairing alongside newcomer Ronnie Attard it was Kevin Connaughton <laughs> 32 years old nobody journeyman fringe player Kevin Connaughton is now the reason that the Flyers couldn't get Keith Yandel to game 1000 so I know people are like oh yeah Keith Yandel's been terrible this that blah 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 who cares the Flyers suck there, that's my piece on it. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely spot on. Uh, and good for you for, for really following the breadcrumbs on this one uh, to really expose the Flyers for the clown organization that they are. Uh, because uh, you blew it. You blew it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just <laughs> 11 fucking games. You've done it all the way until this point. It's not like you're in playoff contention. Your team stinks. And you have nothing else to cheer for, as you said. So what else is there? To- you could throw a massive party. For Keith Yandel playing Absolutely. a thousand amazing. fucking games. A thousand games in a row without a single missed game. That's insane. That, was, that is literally unheard of. Nobody has ever done that before. Uh, and, you know, it, it is a, a very remarkable milestone. You're going from the three digits to the four digits. That's a 25% increase in, in digits. <laughs> that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, 33%. Yeah, 33%. My bad. My bad. You're absolutely right. Um, and yet... 
the Flyers feel so compelled to put in Kevin Connaughton in the lineup. That has got to be so insulting. That's got to be so fucking insulting. That, to, to be told to your face, we got to get these young defensemen in here. And see Kevin fucking Connaughton on the ice, taking your ice time and breaking your streak at 989. That's terrible. That's terrible. I, you know what? Yeah, If I'm Keith Yandel, I'm cheesed. I'm pissed. I'm going to the media and everything. Because, yeah, sure, that's a reasonable reason you want to put in the youngsters. Sure. Whatever you could have, you could you could have waited eleven games. It's not that serious. I mean, hell, you could put them yeah, in next go, year. Let them play in the AHL. Who cares? What you know? Yeah, exactly. eleven games and do it next year. Who cares? Who the fuck cares? The Flyers gonna stink next year too. Don't pretend. Don't pretend it's a rebuild. What are you doing? Um, but instead, you know, like God, it, it's a shame because it seems like the Flyers aren't committed to the bit, uh, and it's cost you know poor Keith Yandel his great streak, and it, it truly is. You know, like, it's like, this is like, what was the Jason Spezza kind of thing that something happened with him with back, the backpack. This feels worse. This feels worse because Keith Yandel is, is on the, the, you know, he's on the precipice of doing something great. A thousand games, four digits. That's crazy. Uh, and yet, you know, the Flyers are being party poopers and only a bunch of losers, an organization with run by a bunch of losers would do such a thing. Have no sense of fun whatsoever. Yeah, let's get the young guys in there. Let's get the young 32-year-olds in there in the lineup. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. Outrageous. Outrageous. Oh, my God. You, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm going to transition to the next guy in line, who is only 21 games behind now, uh, Mr. Yandel, who also has an active Ironman streak, and uh, who happens to play for a team who is committed to the bit in the Arizona Coyotes. And that's right. It's Phil Kessel. Uh, and we've talked about him. And his Ironman streak, I think it was just a few weeks ago. Um, but yeah, we talked about how the the Coyotes, you know, he had a baby on the way. His, you know, he's about to, his baby was about to be born. Uh, but they they still fucking dressed him up, you know, played him for like a minute, a shift, and then played a man down for the entire fucking game because they wanted to get this guy his Ironman Ironman streak going. And then they still score like eight goals that game or something. Exactly. But they were willing to go man down because they don't give a fuck. They know where they are in the standings. They know what kind of team they have, uh, and they know. That, you know, to, to get those 5,000 fans riled up in the arena, the one thing that's going to, ha- you know, get it going is Phil Kessel reaching 1,000 games, breaking the record. So, uh, looks like that's what we're on track for here, uh, 32 games. So, it's uh, 32 games to go. And uh, the, the funny thing is, is that this big celebration is exactly, it's going to be ex- like 5,000 fans. It's going to be for 5,000 fucking fans. How crazy is that? Unless it's an away game. But if it, it is indeed a home game, uh, it's, it's extremely funny. Their big party is going to be a very small party. I think what you were referencing with Babcock before was when Mike Medano was sitting on 1,499 career games heading into the last game of the regular season, and Babcock scratched him, and he ended his career at 1,499, uh, which I would argue is significantly douchier than the Seattle thing. Um, but that obviously doesn't make the Seattle thing great. With Kessel, that is the one silver lining to Yandel's streak ending. We had mentioned like we were rooting for Kessel to eventually overtake Yandel and become the champion. Uh, the path is now cleared for not only passing Yandel, but for getting to uh, a thousand games sometime next season. Uh, Kessel is a free agent at the end of the season, so we don't know what team he's going to be chasing that record down with. But based on that uh, whole thing with uh, you know the 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 charter flight to uh, to get to the birth of his child after playing one shift, uh, I feel like you know that whole going the extra mile that Arizona is doing, you know. I feel like what reason is there for Kessel to leave? You know, he he does seem like the type of guy who's chill there. You know, he doesn't mind losing, being at the bottom of the standings <laughs> with no one watching him. And I don't mean that as an insult. I just feel like, you know, he, he kind of hated being in Toronto. And the opposite of that would be loving being in Arizona. Uh, so, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised at all if he re-upped there. Uh, he's 34, maybe, you know, multi-year contract. They need all the warm bodies that he can get, even though he'll be getting worse as he approaches his late 30s. Uh, and maybe he'll be on the road for game 1000. Maybe he'll be at home in front of nobody to celebrate. <laughs> but hey, even if he doesn't resign with the Arizona Coyotes, I know the one piece of advice that I have for him, you know, heading into... Heading into free agency, and that would be don't sign, don't with, the sign with the Flyers. Don't sign with the Flyers. Yeah. Don't sign with the Flyers. If there's one team, one career advice, Phil, is don't sign with the Flyers. Literally anybody else. Hell, sign with a juggernaut and have your your lineup spot, you know, compromised because they're you know they're their lineup is filled with studs. That's better than signing with the Flyers because they will they will give up your roster spot for Kevin Kanan and they won't give a shit. 
Uh, so, you know, that's what it is. And uh, yeah, we love to see it though. Phil, in in, in pole position to get that one thousand game mark. Uh, the, to be the very first one and to be the only one for a long time if he does reach it. Um, hopefully we're not jinxing him too hard because uh, that would be. A oh, real I don't shame. think so. I hope. Oh, so. I really hope it would be a shame. Him. We're gonna throw a party for him here on this podcast. Oh, absolutely! We should invite him on. <laughs> I'll send him a DM on Twitter. Yeah, did you see what what uh, James Van Riemsdyk said about Kessel and the Iron Man stuff? No, he no. says something like, "Uh, because you know they played together in Toronto on the same line for a lot of the time." Yep. He was like, "Oh yeah, I see. Like, uh, you know, he's gonna have a lot of uh, health and conditioning specialists very confused, something like that." <laughs> really. We mentioned that it would be extra funny because he's like, you know, hot dog guy and like Steve Simmons called him fat a bunch of times. And he's the one who ultimately is like only guy to ever play a thousand games in a row. Yeah. Never get injured. Just kind of ho-hum. Hilarious. It's like it's like the person who like, you know, lives to 100 but smokes a pack of cigs like every day. Um, yeah, this, exactly. <laughs> this is it. This is it. But like, you know, significantly uh, more pleasant. It's, it's a good vibe. It's a great vibe. And it's it's hilarious. What's your secret to living so long? Wine. That type of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, three pounds of chocolate a day. Um, or that <laughs> kind of vibe. Uh, and yeah, so we, we love the vibes. It, it would be like, you know, <laughs> quality iconic moment if Phil Kessel breaches the 1,000 game mark, which, uh, yeah, if he finishes this season, if, big if, but if he does, uh, he'll have, uh, what, like 18 games or some shit like that uh, to play next year to reach the mark. So mm-hmm. that'll be sometime in November. Yeah, I could see... I could see Castle if he, you know, if he does, if he really cares about getting this mark, which I don't see why he wouldn't, um, that uh, Arizona might be the only team that you can be fully confident <laughs> in, uh, like, yeah. you know, not screwing you over for it. Right. Because around the rest of the league, you know, where else, you know, they're everywhere coaches with massive egos who are going to scratch you just for the sake of it. Yeah. Just to be like, oh, this it's a distraction for the team. Arizona's, they've already established that, that, uh, not not only is it not a distraction for the team, uh, it's something that could that unites the team. They performed their best uh, that game when Castle went for one shift and flew away. It's literally the one thing that they have to celebrate as a franchise. I know. So, yeah, <laughs> go to the team who who cherishes you like that, Phil. You know who who makes you feel wanted because I can guarantee no other franchise in the AHL um, is as committed to the bit as Arizona. And I respect them for that. That's probably the only thing I respect them for as a franchise. But I respect them for that at least. Um, is to you know supporting Phil Kessel as as he is on his his uh you know his his Arthurian task to make it to a thousand games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. The Flyers really just clowned. I think yeah. uh, someone on Twitter because like the Flyers didn't play particularly well against the Leafs and they lost six to three. As you would have probably expected them to do anyway. There's not a good team, and people on Twitter, "Wow, I'm so sure, pretty glad you scratched Yandel now, aren't you? What an inspired performance! Lose the six three to the Leafs. Your continued quest for, you know, not being anywhere near the playoffs." Hey, maybe if they had put him in, they would have won seven six, or maybe they would have won four three. You never know. Or maybe they would have lost six to two. And guess and what? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> You're absolutely right. So. uh yeah, no, this is a clownery in every single way of the word. Uh, and I'm, you know what? I'm I'm sure. I don't even need to have watched the game to have known that Kevin Knotten did not blow anybody's socks off that night. <laughs> and he did not earn a spot in the lineup. I can't imagine that's you know, true. Will's probably didn't blow anyone's socks off. Rasmus Ristolainen. There's that's another true. guy taking Yandel's spot away. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's getting paid way more. Uh, undeservedly so. So there we go. Is that is that what we want to do? Is that what we want to do, Philadelphia? Uh, it's... Uh, Nah, it's that's some clown shit, man. I can't believe they put Kevin Connaughton in. Of all people. Yep. Of all people. Oh god. You didn't even pretend. They didn't even pretend. Well they did. They lied to they his face. Did not. You know. not <laughs> yeah, they said we're they said we're taking you out to put Ronnie Atardin rather than taking out Kevin Connaughton. Yeah. Yeah, no. That's uh <laughs> that's absurd. Uh what a bunch of idiots. Eleven games away. Right. Year eleven. Oh man, that's pain. That's pain. He would have had it before the end of the season. God damn. He would have. It would have uh, been a whole big event. Ah, uh, it's terrible. Man. We got to wait till next year, though. Or or longer, yeah. if Phil is uh, unfortunately held up. But uh seems that nothing's held him up in the last, like, 12 years. So, you know, we'll see. Mm-mm. We shall All see. Right, so next up. Next up. Uh, sticking with the Coyotes, actually. Um, and Jay Beagle, uh, who is one added reason all of a sudden not to respect this team. Uh, because he pulled off some some clown shit too. 
against the Ducks the other night. Um, and Tyson Nash on the Coyotes broadcast uh, seemed to endorse his actions. Uh, Trevor Zegris and Troy Terry, two of the top guns on the Ducks, some young players with a lot of skill. Trevor Zegris, of course, has made the highlight reel many times this year. Scored another lacrosse goal the other day. Uh, and it was actually funny because Sonny Milano happened to be standing like next to the post. So he was like an extra barrier for his own teammate to reach around. But Zegra scored anyway. Troy Terry, of course. Breakout year. He's already passed 30 goals. Um, two very skilled players. Uh, and Tyson Nash wants to, is really, you know, upset about all these this new wave of young players. Gen Z and their TikTok and their Snapchat trying to skill it up. This is what happens when you skill it up. Is you better be prepared to be punched in the mouth. So this was a five nothing Ducks game at this point. Uh, Troy Terry is you know trying to use his skill to score. I think with help from Trevor Zegers and uh, Jay Beagle, the opponent, doesn't appreciate that, and so he uh, you know punches Troy Terry repeatedly. Uh, Trevor Zegers, uh, I don't remember actually how it shaked out. I think Jay Beagle went after like multiple people. Then he tried to go after like Cam Fowler too. Uh, I was, you know, this, you know, no skill fourth liner, Jay Beagle, uh, overpaid bum, like 36 years old, I think. Uh, and his team is losing and he's kind of just, you know, so mad that he can't keep up and hasn't been able to keep up all year that he resorts to the only, the only means that he has to stay relevant, which is, which is, you know, pure violence. Trevor Zucas did an interview after the game. I pretty sure it was some kind of, uh, casual interview because there was a bunch of like you know noise in the background and also he swore in it basically saying uh that jay beagle should should be embarrassed and and it's a terrible look for the league and that jay beagle should be uh should be punished appropriately will he be um probably not no they they announced that they were not looking into it so he's not even getting fined not even Uh, looking into it nope uh as is expected uh but uh yeah, no, it's just completely embarrassing. Is is exactly right. I mean, this guy is just being Jay Beagle is just being a massive little crybaby. Uh, uh you know, <laughs> what his feelings are hurt because uh somebody's better than him, and then his scrub ass who, mind you, yeah, he's getting paid way above his talent level at this point. And so, if anything, he should be grateful, and he should just shut the fuck up and just you know, put it clock in, clock out, get out of there. Uh, because yeah, a he brings nothing to the game, and b. Uh, <laughs> his time has passed. He's irrelevant. And to insert himself into the conversation like this, uh, and to, you know, basically just throw a temper tantrum out here about, uh, oh, he scored a fancy goal. I don't like fancy goals. I'm embarrassed. And then, you know, he goes, okay, man. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Fuck this. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, you just like beat the tires off Troy Terry. Uh, and so, you know, Troy Terry gets some brain damage. Uh, and then, you know, that's awful. And you hate to see that. And yeah, and then you have, you know, fucking Tyson Nash, uh, who from uh, this brief Wikipedia article that I pulled up on him uh, seems to have been some sort of goon or some shit um, in his time, sporting a, a, a ridiculous looking soul patch. I got to say the beard does not work with him. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's just it's absurd to have people commenting uh, on the, and like supporting and endorsing it on the air. Uh, it's, you know. <laughs> that's the kind of hockey culture where we don't want, you know, to resort to this kind of violence. Uh, and when we see it, we don't want to support it in any sort of way, especially for the viewers at home. Uh, you know, the kids or whatnot, we don't want them to, uh, we don't want them to take this, take away this part of hockey. Uh, it's really the, the, the Trevor Zegers kind of goal where it's exciting. And that's what we want to see uh, at this point. You know, the majority of people, I would think uh, they're not here for the, uh, the fisticuffs. You know, go watch UFC for that. Uh, you know, the, the Trevor Zeger stuff was awesome. Also, I just want to shout out Sonny Milano because it doesn't seem like... This guy seems to, like, enjoy, like, you know, like, being on the headlines exclusively because of, tre- like, being involved in Trevor yeah, Zeger's always, yeah. things. You know, whether it's that, that that like, weird pass over the net or uh, being an obstacle uh, in Zeger's goal. Um, <laughs> honestly, nobody ever talks about Sonny Milano aside from... Uh, these incidents, and uh, I just gotta shout them out because uh, it's it's a pretty good bit. My one, whatever. Anytime I think of Sonny Milano, I think of the 2016 draft. Um, when someone said, uh, one of the insiders was like, "Sounds like Columbus is going to be trading Sonny Milano. We'll have more details soon." And they had no details, and he was not traded for like <laughs> another two years. <laughs> <He was> just... <laughs> 
<laughs> reporting. Um, <laughs> yeah, good, good shit. So Way that's ahead of their time, I guess. <laughs> so Saudi Milano, uh, you know, man, man of fake rumors, and you know, quite, what is it being carried in the national headlines by Trevor Zegers? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah. As for him. like the rest of this Beagle stuff, like this and uh, you know, the the Department of Player Safety stuff and like the referees even up calls, which I feel like people were talking about again this week. It all kind of comes back to one of the real core issues in how the NHL thinks hockey should be, uh, which is that it, it operates with the core philosophy that it's not fair that some players are better than others and that they need to do everything in their power to boost up the bad player and tear down the good player, which Results, of course, in boosting up the bad team and tearing down the good teams, uh, which means, you know, guys like McDavid and Matthews never draw penalties. Uh, better teams don't have as many power plays as they deserve. And it also ends up meaning that if a, a bad player, um, you know, goes after a good player in a violent way, then they are probably not going to receive any uh, any penalty or necess- or a suspension if it's a greater you know, if it's a more severe instance, because what were they supposed to do? How else is Jay Beagle supposed to keep up with Troy Terry? Of course he had to trip him or, or grab him or something. That's, that's how he does it because there's no other way that he could have. When the right answer is, of course, too bad for Jay Beagle. If he's bad, Troy Terry's better and Troy Terry should freely walk by him. If that's the case. All right. Absolutely. It's like the NHL has this, uh, in running the league, they have this like weird obsession with like, fairness and like equality when it comes to that you know on ice results when we don't watch sports to watch a bunch of you know uh people playing at the same level or people succumbing to the same results over and over again no we watch it for the extraordinary talent uh if i wanted the the thing you know the the uh everybody's on the same level kind of deal uh why not just put me in the nhl we can watch when it's the same kind of deal you know what i mean like you know and just give me a bunch of advantages and it still works out the same (laughs) no no it's it's dumb uh and you know the nhl it just doesn't have a seem to have any sort of grasp on how to like really properly market itself because it never emphasizes its superstars and you know it manages the on ice stuff in an according way uh and yeah because remember yeah the, the fundamental principle of sports is that things you know people are built unfairly right these people are you know generational talents built with with genetics that we could we can't even dream of uh and have crazy talents and we love to watch it and it seems like the nhl doesn't want to uh you know fully exploit that for the uh, entertainment value that it is within its fans uh and if it did perhaps it would be more successful uh than it presently is at uh drawing the viewers because nobody wants to watch jay beagle i'll tell you that not a single joe schmo on the street has ever heard of jay beagle or if, if they were to turn on the TV on a spotlight cam on Jay Beagle, they would not want to watch more than 20 seconds of that shit. Uh, so <laughs> to advantage the rules in his favor and players like him um, and to have coverage that seems to, you know, encourage that kind of stuff is, uh, you know, it's just a dumb move. Not only is it like stupid, it's just straight up. Well, yeah, it, it, it's stupid and dumb. It's a synonym, but whatever. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. Not only is it stupid, it's dumb too. Before we move on, I want to shout out uh, myself. Because the last time I spoke, just like a minute and a half ago, I gotta say, I, I'm really impressed with it, with how I put that when I said, uh, when I said the NHL, what did I say? It was really, it was really good and clever. The NHL is um, deeply opposed to the idea that one player should be better than another. However, I said it, I was like, wow, that that's that was a very quotable moment on my part. I'm very impressed with myself. Very well done. A round of applause for you. I was, uh, it was, it was, it was, about it, was, right now. it was, it's a very concise point. Very well thought out. I gotta say excellent podcast moment along with a shout out. <laughs> they, they both, they work hand in hand to create spending, an iconic spending, moment. Spending a minute talking and then spending another minute talking about how well I talk. <laughs> You're welcome, Steve. That's quality content. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Congratulations. Uh, Congratulations. Good stuff. Thank you. Um, so that we have a trivia. Taisei is giving me a trivia. Uh, but I also want to say that today, the very first uh, team to clinch a playoff spot this year clinched a playoff spot, and it was Florida. They beat Buffalo. They got their 48th win of the year. They had 102 points, and they have a little X 
next to their name. So congratulations to Ben Sherratt and company. Uh, you are you have punched your ticket. Well done, well done, Robert Hogg Squad. Um, okay, all right. So uh, today's uh, quiz, today's trivia, is inspired off of uh, our, our one of our main topics today, which was the Iron Man streak. And uh, this one's called uh, Iron Man or Iron Men, wherein uh, I give you a name, and you tell me whether it's a character in one of them Iron Man movies or in the Iron Man Marvel Universe, or if it's an NHL player in the top 25 for uh, longest consecutive games played. So, uh, very interesting. Um, I know nothing at all about Marvel movies and the like. The only Iron Man character I can name is Iron Man, and I don't think that's going to be one of the options here. So, right. as expected, I'm probably going to be relying on recognizing hockey player names, and if I don't, then I may lean towards movie. We'll see how this goes. Okay. Let us begin with player number one. Ah, oh, fuck, I just gave it away. All right, I'm just going to change the order. <laughs> I was going to some real moronic <laughs> shit to start this, uh, but it's okay yeah. because I can change the order whenever I want. But it's I okay myself. because Good now stuff. we're gonna start with movie character number one. <laughs> shit! God damn it! It's not starting off well. All right, okay. Starting with name number one, Andy Hebbington. Andy Hebbington. Yes. Let's go with movie. No, he is a NHL player who is 12th on the all-time list with uh, 630 games played. Oof. Oh, or consecutive tough. games played. That's right. My bad. Um, although, considering we've never heard of him, maybe those were the only games that he ever played. All right. How many names? Uh, we have 10. So we want to set the okay. threshold at 7. Yeah, sure, I guess. Okay. Which, at this point, means that 7 for 9. That's right. That's right. But, you think about it, it's a 50-50 quiz. So... You should at least get 50% is what one would think. All right. Next up, we have someone named Billy Harris. Movie. No, that is a player. Oh, um, God. <laughs> 16th on the list. <laughs> with five hundred. just a bunch of scrubs? <laughs> I don't know. I hadn't heard of these dudes, but they were on my list. So, uh, you know, can't, I'm just thinking, I'm just... Citing facts here. He, is the, he has the 15th most consecutive games played. Oh, wait, no, 16th. My bad. I seem to have misquoted mm-hmm. that. 16th. So uh, that's that's an oof. All right. Next up, we have Danny Grant. Ooh. Grant is feels like a hockey name. But the first two were, were also hockey. And also, it's basic enough it could be in, in a movie. Wow, I'm I'm really just flipping a coin. You know, this feels like when I'm on my my guess who droughts, and I'm like, all right, time to just guess, and the guess is always wrong. That's what this game feels like. <laughs> but I'm, I'm I'm I'll go with movie again. With movie, uh, no, that's incorrect. That is a player. No, eighteenth um, <laughs> on the list with 555 games uh, straight. Uh, he is he's played in the NHL. All right. All right, time to run the table. Here we go. <laughs> okay, okay. Here we go. James Rhodes. Movie. Okay, well, four, four times the charm, as they say. Um, Yay. Iron Man's sidekick, apparently. Uh, and uh, he is not, he's not an NHL player. All right. Next up, we have someone named Edwin Jarvis. That's got to be a hockey player. Jarvis. It was, it was making an, a Marvel movie with a guy named Edwin. No one. Apparently the director of Iron Man because uh, he is no! the butler. Uh- <laughs> oh, I didn't know there was a butler in this movie. I don't there was a butler. I would have said, oh, of course the butler is named Edwin Jarvis. Oh, man. Not to be confused with Doug Jarvis, who, uh, as we all know, is uh, number three on the all-time list. But uh, no, it's uh... he, he, not an NHL player, unfortunately. So... Uh... That's where we're at. Okay. Next up, we have J.P. Parise. Oh, I know J.P. Parise. He's a hockey player. Okay. Zach Parise's I, dad. I, know, I thought I'd trip you up. I thought you maybe, you thought I was going the opposite, you know, trying to psych you out. But if you had heard of him, 
I was never gonna get Who you. Who doesn't know JB Parise? Me. Wasn't That's he him. in uh was he in the um the summit series? I feel like he might have been. Oh well, uh, whatever. Possibly. But uh yeah, JP's dad. That's exactly right. Uh no, Zach's dad. That's what I meant. Um yeah. okay, so what are we at now? One, two, three, four, four out of six? Something like that. Uh no, two out of six. Oh yeah, four you're right, two out of six. Uh, correct. <laughs> Four out of six wrong. Okay. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have uh, Brendan Morrison. I feel like there was a hockey player called Brendan Morrison, but for some reason in my mind, he was some scrub who played like four career games. But I do suppose it's quite possible there have been several Brendan Morrisons in the NHL throughout the years. So I'll go with hockey player. That's exactly right. 20th on the list. I don't know. He, he played from 2000 to 2007. So maybe you caught wind of him at the end of his career. Or no, oh, I don't think I would have in 2007. The, the, the streak, sorry, the streak span from 2000 to 2007. Uh, 542 games. So uh, there we go. Oh. Good stuff. Oh, yeah, but he did play like, yeah, right as I was starting to know the National Hockey League existed, he played a little with Calgary and a little with Chicago. And that was right at the end of his career. So okay. I think that is the guy I was thinking about. Okay, there we go. Uh, next up, we have Nathaniel Richards. Movie. That's exactly right. We're on a roll here. Uh, he's a, a supervillain, I'm told, by Wikipedia. Um, Sounds like the most bland-ass supervillain there is, Nathaniel Richards. Hey, apparently he's a real baddie, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, moving he on. He does not have the best intentions. No, he, he seems to be... A bit on the evil side. Um, next up, we have Anthony Stark. Ooh. I feel like I've heard this name mentioned in reference to Iron Man or around Marvel stuff about which I didn't understand. So I'm going to go with movie again. Yeah, well done. Uh, Anthony Stark is just straight up Iron Man. That's his, that's his real oh, name, that's why. so to speak. Okay. Or Tony Stark is what I think people call him. On a day-to-day mm. basis, but uh, good stuff. All right, uh, I think uh, we're at like five now, if I'm not mistaken. So five out of nine. See if you can make it better than a coin flip with uh, Andrew Brunette. Oh, who does it? I, you should have started on this end of things. This is a hockey <laughs> player who's coaching the. You should have started with Andrew Brunette, oh, and then man. worked worked up to the end, worked up to the hard ones, and I would have blown it at the end. But at least it would have been you know more suspense uh, suspenseful. That a word? Yes, it is. All right. Damn, you're right. Um, yeah, maybe I should have switched out Andrew Brunette for Murray Murdoch. <laughs> what the fuck kind of name is that? Uh, is but, that a hockey uh, player? It, it is a hockey player. 508 mm. straight games. Um, <laughs> and we've still never heard of him. Yeah, crazy. A mad lad. Um, so there we go. That's the quiz. Iron Man or Iron Man. Uh, you, you hit a 6 out of 10, so better than a coin flip. You can hang your hat. On that fact, but uh, no, no dub this I'll time. I'll be sure not to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you never speak of this quiz again, I certainly would not be surprised. I got to say. All right. Uh, all right. Well, what team shall we talk about this week? Um, okay, sh- so... Shall we s- stick with uh, some good ones that are going to make the playoffs? Or uh, how about uh, in the West, like there are some... Like a f- the bubble teams, right? Like Nashville, Dallas, Vegas. Um, have we done Vegas? Yeah, so we I actually we did. We we've done like all of those teams before. We've done Nashville, Dallas, Vancouver, okay. Vegas. Um, so really, I think we have like three playoff teams left, or maybe four actually. Um, uh, who are who are yet to be done? We have L.A., we have Carolina, we have the Rangers, and we have the Capitals. Uh, everybody else sucks. We haven't done yet. Um, oh, right. oh, St. Louis too. St. Louis, but they're they're firmly in a playoff spot too. Mm, how about the how about the Hurricanes? All uh, right, let's see. All right, looks like they play Buffalo on Tuesday, and then they play Buffalo on Thursday, <laughs> and then the Islanders on Friday. How does that sound? All right. Well, we can see if they can uh, manage to shit kick their way through some bad teams this week. Mm-hmm. That works. Don't see why not. Anything yeah. less than three and zero would probably be underwhelming for them. Well, at this point. you know, as I mentioned before, uh, prior to recording, the Sabers are red hot for Sabers Saber standards. Ah, yes. Uh, they are eight three and two in their last 
13 games. So watch it's out, funny, Carolina. Darlene's kind of, you know, found his step finally and is actually like a number one defenseman ever since, I don't know, 30 games into the year around then. He's been You'll grooving. love to hear it for my fantasy team. Great pick. Absolute snipes. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Carolina. We're going to get a – and Buffalo on the side too, apparently, because uh, they'll be in two-thirds of our matchups, and we haven't watched them this year. So we might even count that as a Buffalo week because uh, I don't see why we would well. otherwise – I don't see why we would otherwise want to watch the Sabres. <laughs> we so might not. as well take this opportunity to scratch them off the list. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is Hurricane slash Sabres week. Uh, anything else you want to add before we call it an episode? I believe – that is the end of that. Thanks to everyone for listening to Fusion and Hockey Podcast. It's Carolina slash Buffalo Week next week. Follow the podcast on Instagram, Fusion and Hockey Podcast, where we always post when the new episodes are out and where we put up our polls for our um, our draft voting. And you can follow us each on Twitter as well, at Alex's new handle, at Ty Sefu. That's the end of the episode. The end.